Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now sitting in for Neil this week, it's your host, Charles Marshall. Hello, everyone. On this July 29th, 2021, and the the great and ever-increasing changes in the foreclosure world continue apace. Uh, It's all we can do on this show to keep track of it all. Uh, As listeners will know, I often do talk about these changes and these issues through the lens of COVID. Since COVID seems to be a permanent feature of uh, the American and the world landscape at this point, uh, I'm not even referring it. In, I'm not even referring to it anymore as COVID-19. Clearly, here we are in the middle of 2021, and COVID is dominating the American landscape, the legal landscape the uh, provision of services landscape, the access to public domain, uh, the access to public goods, the access to public services, and that certainly includes litigation services, particularly at the court level. So just to get into it, I'm going to be addressing a number of aspects in this update and what trends uh, are kind of foretelling now. Here we are in middle 2021 and what listeners can expect going forward. So as I address each area, we're going to start with civil litigation, state first, and then federal. Uh, We'll move on to appeal practice from there, both state and federal unlawful detainer practice, which most listeners will know involves post-foreclosure eviction lawsuits, and then bankruptcy practice. While I will be looking at this through a lens largely of non-judicial foreclosure uh, cases, circumstances, laws, and the, uh, the states that, that represent those cases, largely California, Uh, A lot of of what we'll be discussing today uh, does relate to any number of foreclosure issues elsewhere and otherwise, including judicial ones. So, again, it's not even as if the COVID lens is something that I would talk about at the end here. I'm going to be threading it into uh, the entire discussion of trends and updates because, frankly, it's impossible to talk about uh, legal services anymore, foreclosure or otherwise, without getting into the dense fog and the overlapping and the often contradictory 
um, and the inconsistent COVID regulation uh, chemicals, if you want to call it that. I think it certainly could be called that. So on the civil litigation front, uh, particularly here in California, now this may or may not apply as much in other states. I am aware that a number of states, the so-called red states, after a political science uh, maven of some uh, repute back in the 70s called so-called conservative states red and so-called liberal states blue, reversing the the sort of red communist uh, association we all had growing up. Nevertheless, sure, there are states like Texas and, and Florida, even to some extent Arizona, that have more relaxed COVID rules and more relaxed standards where things are semi-normal. Certainly that's not true in California. Certainly it's not true in a lot of so-called blue states. A lot of those states are judicial. Massachusetts, New York, they still have lots and lots of restrictions. And a lot of what I'll be describing as the new normal for lack of uh, for lack of a word that we don't hear, <laughs> let's put it this way: Would that we had a great substitute for the new normal? It's kind of an irritating term. I will use it though in some context and and uh, and retail it to some extent on this show uh, because it is a sort of easy uh, way, a bit glib, to describe what's going on with all these changes. So the new legal normal in California and a lot of uh, other uh, blue states uh, where the COVID craziness is as thick as ever, this is not to say that, uh, you know, there's not a COVID problem. There certainly is. We're not going to get into the medical or political diagnosis of that today. Uh, I think it's fair to say, though, that there's a lot of government overreach going on. And it certainly is happening here in California. So the way that legal process is now happening in California is it looked like there were going to be a lot of uh, state court hearings. I'll get to the appeal front shortly. Looks like there are going to be a lot of state appeal, uh, state court hearings going back to um, real time, so to speak. In the courtroom, there might have been mask requirements in some counties. There might have been physical distancing still required. However, at this juncture, uh, the sort of pause that seemed to be happening on the COVID front is already evaporating here in the middle of summer. So what I mean by that is the COVID lockdown norms are already coming back. And I think when it comes to litigation, there are a number of reasons for that. But it is absolutely the new normal now. And I think this is true in a lot of blue states, judicial, non-judicial, whichever, where the court hearings are now just going to virtual and that's it. And I will tell listeners, I think a number of listeners are in litigation of some kind or they intend to be. 
either as a plaintiff, either as a defendant. Uh, I'm sure there are some attorneys who listen to this show. And I always give a, a vague welcome for them as well. So uh, on this COVID front, there are going to be a lot of hearings then, and it's invariable now in California, uh, from my experience, that the absolute trend, county by county, is to do everything remotely. That's not to say that there's no scenario where you would go in for an in-person hearing, but the vast majority of everything now, including everything from settlement conferences to even trials, and certainly most hearings, including motions for summary judgment, demurs, that type of thing, which, again, for those not from California, demur is a motion to dismiss, basically. So uh, the absolute trend here is for all these hearings to be heard um, remotely. And typically, <clears throat> you know, I, I can tell you as, as, as a litigant's attorney who's appeared at a lot of these hearings, now, there's often an expectation that you appear by video, but there are a lot of technical glitches with the programs that are used. There are some kind of software packages and platforms that have been developed here in California specifically for uh, county court hearings, California Superior Court hearings. And... Um, you know, the, 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 the functionality of those, the technical functionality of those, I have to say, except for Zoom, is somewhat lacking. By that I mean a lot of these hearings not only don't go off without a glitch, a lot of these hearings are glitchy. And you have this whole waiting room phenomenon where there are other people on the call, just as there would be in a normal courtroom, in a normal courtroom, your case is being called, and there may be 10, 20, uh, up to 40 cases on calendar, depending on how busy the judge is, depending on the, how backed up calendars are. And parenthetically, I won't surprise listeners to know that calendars are very backed up right now. So that's one of the significant issues that um, listeners should appreciate uh, wherever your case is going, and if it's a new one, there's a good possibility it's going to be delayed in some fashion. And, you know, trial dates continue to get pushed out, even though they're set to happen remotely typically now. Um, they're still getting pushed out. And there's still a theoretical uh, kind of place marker put in for a lot of court hearings that are, let's say, one to two years away. There's somewhat of an expectation, I believe, that, you know, they could still happen in live time. Uh, however, part of the purpose of this program right now in terms of uh, my appearance today is to talk about trends. The way these trends are going, I think everything is going to continue to move to the remote landscape. I think there are a lot of reasons for that. It's cheaper for all litigants. It's cheaper for the, the attorneys. I think in some respects it's even cheaper for the court personnel uh, and the entire machinery of the court system. Though, again, there are a lot of glitches with these programs. And I'm going to talk about Zoom uh, briefly. Uh, 
I'm not making a plug for Zoom. I want that to be clear. I'm not a particular fan of Zoom in terms of the fact that, you know, the entire platform is basically operating out of China, and there are a lot of, I think, legitimate concerns about the the actual integrity to the privacy of these, these uh, hearings and presentations on Zoom. Nevertheless, it's become the dominant platform, and it's become a dominant platform for the same reason that uh, YouTube became a dominant platform in uh, social media videos. It's simply functionally better than every other platform. It's way, way better than every other platform, just as YouTube even now. I mean, for all the censorship and all the problems with YouTube and the fact that they've gone very heavy into, uh, I think you could even call it political censorship, whatever one's take on that, uh, the fact of the matter is YouTube is still vastly superior to every other platform. And all the other platforms that come along, Parler, Gab, Rumble, etc. their functionality is not nearly as good. Oftentimes even their video quality is not as good. Uh, the reliability of uh, your video that you can access, it, that it will play reliably. And again, that you can functionally navigate through various <clears throat> modalities to actually make watching your video uh, enjoyable or practical. YouTube is just way ahead of everybody, and they put millions at the time, decades ago, and now billions to maintain this incredibly functional system. And Zoom is absolutely the YouTube of the legal video landscape. It is so superior to every other program. And again, I'm not saying that to boost Zoom, even though it probably sounds like it. I think if, if somebody has some choice in how they appear by video, I think Zoom is the way to go, frankly. Uh, you know, even though, again, I don't particularly like endorsing it. It's just so much better than everything else. And I've never had a glitch problem on Zoom. I've had a glitch problem with every other uh, video platform that I have been on, on all these different cases, federal and state. So if you're able to use Zoom, you're going to find that, uh, at least in my experience, it's glitch-free. Video quality is very good. Now, one other thing about these hearings, particularly if you're not on Zoom, uh, you know, it could be that the platforms in other states are working fine. I can't speak to that, obviously, because I'm here in California. Nevertheless, as far as California platforms go, particularly in the state courts, they're glitchy, they're unreliable. Uh, when you have the other um, cases sort of in on the same call or video with you, a lot of the callers, a lot of the video people, you know, particularly the attorneys have trouble navigating those systems. Uh, they constantly have to call back in or their video just won't work or they can't be heard on audio because the functionality of the, the, the you know, sort of mute and unmute feature, uh, again, is kind of glitchy. So um, it's not that it's going to be like a total 
terrible hearing because of these issues, and I'm not saying that they're always present. I'm sure there are hearings where everything goes flawlessly and smoothly the entire hearing, and there's no problem with any of the callers. Uh, my experience of that, by the way, zero, zero, except on Zoom. And we're talking about many dozens of hearings now. Over the last, you know, year and a half in this COVID era uh, that I've done remotely, and uh, Zoom is the only program that works properly, in my opinion. So, um, you know, in terms of the, the substance of the civil litigation that's going on, uh, there are um, the continuing trends, and I think this is absolutely why this to this show, particularly those who are in litigation and expect to be in litigation as participants. You know, the, the core of our audience, I mean, it really does behoove you to go onto Neil's blog regularly and, and follow his tips, um, delve into the, uh, the approaches that he advocates using, you know, in a litigation environment. Uh, because doing that, you'll put yourself in a much more realistic position to be able to get through the litigation you're involved in. You know, the trends in, in, in civil state litigation here in California are not particularly supportive of foreclosure cases. That's been the case, as I think everyone knows, for years. I wouldn't say that there has been a kind of situation where you'd say, oh, the, the rights of the, uh, of the non-judicially foreclosed parties in California have fallen off the cliff, let's say. Well, no, they haven't fallen off the cliff. Still in litigation, they're still able to bring plaintiff cases along and get dismissed on the mirror. Again, I think the way, one primary way to avoid that is to use the discovery process, which we've talked about a number of times. So... Again, Neil's an excellent resource for that. Um, on the litigation on the Fed side, I'm absolutely seeing a continual trend to take state court cases into federal court. And there are a number of reasons why that's being done. Now, the defendants are doing that through um, federal removals. Uh, as listeners will know, there are different ways that you can use the federal removal process. It's sometimes used in a lawful detainer uh, because state litigants so often aren't able to get uh, a really fair hearing at the state level on their post-eviction case. Nevertheless, I'm not going to get into the mechanics of that right now. I will say that the other big place we see federal removals in California is when the institutional defendants are using the so-called diversity uh, prong of the, uh, the federal uh, pleading scheme to take a case where they're a defendant in a non-judicial plaintiff's lawsuit against them. And under certain, quote-unquote, diversity guidelines, they can remove that case to federal court. So I think that's a trend that's absolutely going to continue. I think uh, anybody who's who's in civil litigation in California or in other non-judicial foreclosure states with a state case needs to be mindful that when you're a plaintiff, there's always this diversity part that's at least possible to be paid on the part of defendants. And what that means, uh, for the listeners who don't know that, 
what it means is that uh, your case will go from state court to federal court. The federal court will take over jurisdiction. And one of the reasons that's happening so much in California is because of COVID. Because as bad as the timelines are in federal court and as much as matters are backed up there and uh, particularly on the federal docket criminal side, and I will say that this is also happening on the California state side, criminal matters are the ones that uh, are more likely to end up in a real person trial to the extent there's any real person trial left. I think even that's going to go away. That I don't practice criminal procedure, so I can't speak to that. I think there's even a trend in criminal procedure where uh, arraignments and whatnot are happening remotely. Though, again, I don't know the details of that. I do know that court dockets are being clogged with criminal cases, and there is so much of a backlog uh, with the civil cases that the criminal ones get priority, and so the civil cases get even more backed up. So I think the backlogs... uh, Litigants are going to have to be patient, and you even expect that your particular case matter, uh, trials are going to continue to be pushed out. Uh, they're likely to be held remotely, and that's why, um, you know, people need to get familiar with the platforms available. I did want to mention briefly, and this applies to all hearings, so everything we talk about today, this will apply. Um, you can typically appear by audio. I mean, there's very much an encouragement to appear by video or even an expectation. But again, because these technical aspects of access to your hearing are technical, and there's so many things that can go wrong even on Zoom, even though I haven't seen them go wrong on Zoom, uh, you're allowed to appear by audio. You are allowed to appear by audio if you have a problem video functionality, technicality. So I think uh, litigants should keep that in mind. For some reason, you can't appear by video. You will be able to appear by audio. Uh, And sometimes there's an alternative phone number to call in on. Other times, you know, if your video is not working properly, uh, you can can still appear through the audio of your computer. Uh, So appellate practice, both state and head. Uh, I, not only are hearings getting backed up, they're getting so backed up that sometimes, for instance, courts within California, uh, I've had this happen a couple times now, where state appellate matters that I had on appeal up in the San Francisco Bay Area, for instance. Uh, San Francisco itself is the first district and the 6th District is south down towards San Jose. I've had a couple of, of cases in the San Jose area that have transferred to San Diego. And it's not because I'm down here. It's just one of the attorneys because the clients are in the San Jose area. And some of the attorneys are in the San Jose area. Sometimes they're in L.A. None of them are in San Diego except myself. So the reason they're transferred down here is apparently the docket of the fourth uh, appellate district, which is San Diego, apparently the docket down here isn't quite as crowded. 
So, uh, you know, I have a case that's been pending a hearing for like literally years, not just months, years. And it's finally going to go to a hearing. And I got a letter from the, uh, the court of it being transferred from the 6th to the 1st District, 4th District, where I am here. And this was where they were going to put it on calendar in August and they were going to have real hearings and it was going to be in person. Now I got another letter today that, no, the hearing's in September, and everything's back to video again, so everyone will appear by video. So this is a trend that people can absolutely uh, anticipate to the extent that COVID continues to be a thing, which I think it will, unfortunately. Uh, I'm talking about the whole architecture, the whole government uh apparatus around the entire COVID phenomenon that all appears to be continuing and it's going to continue uh, by every measure and uh, measurement uh, for months and possibly years to come. So the way this plays out in the, um, the arena of unlawful detainer practice is, remember those are post-eviction losses where you've been in your home and you're getting evicted after a foreclosure. So the non-judicial version of that in California, uh, the new so-called owner has to take what's called an unlawful detainer lawsuit and file it against the former uh, owner to have him or her evicted. Uh, Now that's been subject to the national moratorium. It's been subject California statewide eviction moratorium. It's been subject to various county moratoriums. There's one here in San Diego. And I will tell you, I mean, you know, I think I might have mentioned this on a previous show, but it is quite notable. There was an attorney in San Diego, I don't know if it's happening in other areas, but it certainly might be, who actually abandoned her entire uh, case profile of all the uh, and all the tenor cases that she had, she was handling plaintiff's cases. Uh, so a lot of tenor attorneys will handle both plaintiff and defense cases. Mm-hmm. However, typically, uh, one would specialize in one or the other. I handle plaintiff's cases only when it's a client or former client who was a foreclosure-related client, and if they happen to have rental properties. That's the only time I would handle a plaintiff's CD case. I always handle the defense side. And I overwhelmingly handle uh, UD cases where they involve a post-eviction, post-foreclosure scenario. So there's an actual San Diego County ordinance, which I've mentioned on a previous show, and I will mention here again. It actually protects uh, specifically post-eviction, post-foreclosure. I don't mean post-eviction, I mean post-foreclosure cases. So where you're the owner, your property goes to sale, you've always had a kind of uh, indeterminate, vulnerable status, but at least a a real unlawful detainer case had to be filed against you. Now you actually have standing, official standing under this ordinance. It actually refers to you as the former owner of a foreclosed property and says you're fully protected. What that looks like is complicated, now, I'm already getting some, uh, you know, some communications from attorneys in California thinking that this ordinance is 
going to be overrun to Los Angeles and San Diego. Because I have an offer to a client in San Diego, and their cases are all on hold right now. They're benefiting from this ordinance. And they've been benefiting from the Asheville Moratorium umbrella as well. So I think one thing that can be said about all of that is that it's going to uh, involve particularity everywhere. And you absolutely need to uh, consult with local council. We didn't get to the bankruptcy piece, but I will say that largely that follows other federal um, practice in terms of uh, the COVID overlay. There are still some in-person hearings happening there, but overwhelmingly it's moved to remote hearings as well. And like so many Fed hearings, Zoom is the uh, Zoom is the platform of choice, uh, both to my regret and uh, my appreciation. And on that note, uh, I will sign off now, and Neil will be back uh, next week. The opinions expressed on the Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.